This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 30, covering CZW slash DGUSA Heat from uh, the uh, German American Society Clubhouse in Hollywood, Florida on March 29th, 2012. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, no obligation whatsoever, but it would be appreciated. Click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to Red Circle, where you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. And thank you to our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join alongside Case Lowe. And Case, this is an interesting uh, time period in both Dragon Gate USA and in Dragon Gate. And I have to say, like, it was hard for me to get out this EZW portion of DGUSA heat without like breaking in the intro there. That was really hard for me. Uh, well, how are you feeling? And, and what are your thoughts about how Dragon Gate USA's fortunes have changed over like the last like four months of the promotion? It, well, it's weird to think that had we gone fully psychotic with this project, we would have watched Evolve 10 last week and we would have tracked down the CZW portion of this card as well. And I think that would have decayed our mental health to an extent that the rest of this project would have taken on a drastic, drastic turn. But yeah, it, it we're definitely in a new era of the promotion. And I think that is evident really up and down this card. And it's crazy to think that two years ago, you're looking at Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate USA suing each other over what talent they can use in the city of Phoenix and, and when they're doing this, and are they running head-to-head, this and that. And now it seems like Dragon Gate USA is just not on the level of Ring of Honor. We talked extensively last year about how Sinclair came in, and you've got kind of this three-headed dragon atop the card with Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards, and Roderick Strong in ROH, plus Kevin Steen is now back to being a full-time roster member, and you have the undercard guys of your Adam Coles and your Kyle O'Reilly's, and Dragon USA has become this really scrappy underdog promotion, and while... I don't think the quality has dipped that drastically. I mean, we just rattled off from Indianapolis through New York City at BB King's, the last six shows of 2011. I really liked for the most part, and we talked last week about how Open the Golden Gate might be the best show in the history of the company, and yet the tone of this promotion feels dire right now. Yeah, and 
I, I think there's no better point of comparison than we closed out 2011 with mentioning Chikara's High Noon, which was, at the time, the highest-selling indie pay-per-view, iPay-per-view, uh, of all time, as a, at least through, like, 2011. So even a former partner of Dragon Gate USA at the time was somewhat ascendant, and then you look at Dragon Gate USA where they they were with them for a long time, and now there's no mention of it. When I was doing research, I, I don't include this into our research. Chikara right now is at a point where they were doing stuff with with Ring of Honor. So that's like the idea of the whole landscape. And we're going to get more into the overall wrestling notes or the overall wrestling news notes next week because there is a lot of stuff going on that I think kind of like we like to weave this into kind of like telling the story of the promotion. You have to talk about certain other things and other things are afoot. But while all that's happening, we have DGUSA that's still trucking. I, I would say, I mean, this would be their equivalent of their opening of the Southern Gate show from 2011. And it does, like when you even like compare those between those two shows, it does feel like distinctly different in my opinion. Yeah, there's a lot of demarcation points you can make from last year in Atlanta for WrestleMania weekend to this year in Miami for WrestleMania weekend. And as we go along with talking about heat this week, open the Ultimate Gate 2012 next week and Mercury Rising 2012 the week after that, I think you will see a lot of the groundwork set in place for what would happen for the rest of the decade, specifically in the spring of 2012. I was blown away at just how much news and notes there were from this time period. And just given when we're doing this project, you know, it's not, there's not a ton of 2010s exploring and revisiting this stuff yet just because it's been a little too recent. I know PW Torch is doing something with NXT from the beginning, but I feel like we've chartered into some unventured territory here. And I think the notes coming up this week and the following weeks will be like, Oh my God, like it's happening. Like we saw two years ago, the fault line drawn in the indie wrestling war that was active until evolved folded at the start of the year between ring of honor talent and WWN live talent and now I think we see the dominoes and the rest of the wrestling world falling into place. And, and Mike, a lot of that relevance happens in Japan with Dragon Gate at the early portions of 2012. Are you ready to get into the timeline this week, Mike Spears? I am ready. We are getting to one of the, some of the big boilerplate stuff, at least with how Dragon Gate is today, starts from early 2012. So let, let, let's start talking about these shows. Yes, we've got a few cards to break down here. We're going to start with the Fukuoka Hakata Star Lane show on February 5th, 2012. Last week, we talked about how Shima was kicked out of Blood Warriors and how he introduced the Shima Royale concept. The first winner of that was Jimmy Susumu, and we saw his title challenge on the 5th of February when he lost to Shima, Shima's first defense of the Open the Dreamgate title in the main event. After the show, and these notes come from iHeartDG.com, Shima gave a long speech to close the show. He praised Susumu for the tough fight. He then reiterated that Shima and the Dreamgate title are the apex of Dragon Gate. They shook hands and Susumu thanked him and said that next time they would meet, he would become the apex. Shima then asked the Hakata fans what they thought of their first event of 2012 and invited them to come to ringside. He said now that he was out of Blood Warriors, his only allies were Don Fuji and Stalkery Chikawa, and he asked Fuji to lend him his great power and for Stalker 
to push himself to his limits. And then the the real meat of this here, and I think it will pertain to Dragon Gate USA a little bit as we go along, but it's also just something that we've talked about on our weekly update shows a lot, and I thought this note was very interesting, where iHeartDG writes, Shima then called out Kotoka, Eita, and an unnamed trainee to the ring. He slapped Eita and said he expected him to become a show-stealer. He told Kotoka that although he was senior to Ada, in his own eyes, they are looked at as equals, and he said nothing of consequence to the unnamed trainee. So, Mike, there's a lot of things happening here. I think a lot of it sets in motion the upcoming Cork and Hall show, but real quick, the Shima-Ata relationship has been awkward for longer than we realized. And it's something that it's like, a back-and-forth thing that now, like, has gone on pretty much since Ada Kobayashi started in the promotion. And even, like, the Katoka relationship. I mean, Shima and Katoka kind of have been at all, were at odds for a really long time as well. Do you remember who that rookie is? Was that, uh, was that the uh, current UT with them that they were talking about there? Or was it someone else that maybe fell through the cracks? So the trainee was referred to as uh, Kaga-kun. Is that UT? I don't know UT's real name. I do. Let me uh, do one quick search to make sure I do not think. No, that's not UT. That's not UT. Uh, and it would not be uh, wrestlers that would come like Ryotsu Shimizu or either Takira Yamamura or Kaido Ishida. Interesting. Interesting. That's something that I'm going to have to ask about in the future. But no, I could say that that's not UT. Well, that is good to know as we move to the February 9th Cork and Hall show, headlined by a losing unit disbands Yoshida-style 14-man tag team elimination match. But before we get to that... The show opened with a three-on-two handicap match with Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito, defeating the aforementioned Eita Kobayashi, Kotoka, and Yosuke Watanabe. Chihiro Tamanaga defeated Super Shenlong. They were doing an undercard program at the time. Jimmy Kagatora defeated Gamma. Kness, Kanichiro Rai, and Super Shisa. That is a dream team right there. They defeated Shima, Don Fuji, and Stalkery Chikawa. And then your main event, that elimination tag team match. It lasted 71 minutes and 53 seconds, and when it was all said and done, in the middle of the ring, Akira Tozawa pinned Masaki Mochizuki, ending Junction 3 as we knew it. Mike, this is a historically great match. It's a historically great match, and it's something about this match. So, the first elimination happens nearly immediately. Then for the better parts of three quarters of an hour, there's no eliminations. Like, it's just back and forth, back and forth. The longest cut I have seen of this, I think, is 55 minutes. Like, there is like there is not the full 71 minutes of it. Like, the, and the version that was shown on Infinity initially was incredibly chopped up. But it's one of those... Yeah, it's, a, it's an hour-long Infinity, and the entire Infinity is that match, but we're still missing 20 to 25 minutes. Yes, yes. And it's something where, like... The, the big thing about this entire thing was the idea that this was the, the total warfare, like this is a total conclusion. And really, they deal... It's interesting, like, looking at how, like, they do the eliminations. Uh, uh, it was uh, Imposter Naoki first out, and then it was then it was Shingo Takagi, and everyone else sticks around for so long. Like, 
Kong is the person who has the it has actually it's Sumu has the most eliminations. Sumu had three eliminations. He eliminates two thirds of team of team Doi Darts, and then Kong eliminates both uh, Shingo and Swan. But it's something where it it, it gets so, like so fast and furious, and then you have like the final moments of the match, and then the aftermath, and it's just one of those things that everything really splits here, and it sets up the unit warfare that pretty much only concluded last uh, December. And just uh, I'm trying to think from the show. So you mentioned the the semi main event that that was they were already windows at that time. Kness, Arai, and Shisa. Am I correct? If they weren't officially dubbed that, it was coming. You know, within the next few shows or the next few months. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. But yeah, no, this is a landmark match. It's something that one of the big holy grails for me. Well, I have two. One is I want the best of. Tomohiro Ishii and Toriumon, which is mainly going to be him versus Sakura Chikawa in 2000-2001. But my other one is getting the entire version of this match. I would love to see how what all they cut from it and seeing how they kind of really treated this inner this inner portion. Because like the Infinity Cut, if I'm right, like it's about 40 minutes of the match and it's pretty much it has the Impostor Naoki elimination and then it picks up like at minute 30, if I'm right. You are scarily accurate because I rewatched this match this week. I would have had no <laughs> off the, off the top of the head knowledge of that like you did until I, I rewatched I, it this past week. No, you want to hear something really gross and Please. how broken my brain is? I have not seen this match in six years, and I know that. That is my. <laughs> there's there has to be counseling for whatever it is that you just pulled out of your brain. I I, I will say this is on the the top of the list of the Drangate Holy Grails, along with the Shingo versus Super Shisa singles match from May 29th, 2016, a show in Hokkaido that was taped and aired, but it was a, a triple shot weekend. So they only showed the King of Gate matches. And then I think one random main event tag match. And we lost out on Shingo versus another OG Toriumon guy. And it breaks my heart to this day that that match has not seen the light of day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially that. Oh gosh, Super Shisa. For any young wrestlers who are not who are listening to this and you haven't watched any, seek out as much Super Shisa as you can because everything he does is so rad. So after the match, we get the uh, end of Junction Three. Shima, Don Fuji, and Stalker Ichikawa come out, and Shima trades words with Akira Tozawa on the microphone. At that point, Cyber Kong laughed at the idea of Shima trying to set up a match because he had no interest in facing Don Fuji or Stalker Ichikawa. And Shima said that while they would always team together, he had some other partners in mind. He said that being in the wrestling business for 15 years has given him a lot of personal connections, and he's calling on two of them now. And this brought out the owner of K-Dojo, Takamichinoku, and the DDT boss, Sanshiro Takagi, and in a moment of pure bliss, Akira Tozawa then asked Shima, why didn't he just get out President Okamura to complete the trio of incompetent company presidents? I will leave that there. And then Takamichinoku took the microphone. He introduced himself as the incompetent president of K-Dojo and then identified Tozawa as Katsuo of Tozawa Joku. Takagi introduced himself and corrected Taka, saying that it was actually Katsuo of the Metabolic Brothers. And with all of that in mind, the match was set for the March 1st Cork and Hall show. Shima, Taka, and Takagi versus Tozawa, Cyber Kong, and BB Hulk. I feel like we've talked about this before, but Shima and Takamichinoku have a very peculiar and interesting long-term relationship. 
and whenever like whenever Taka shows up in Dragon Gate, it's always a thing where it's like, are they being friendly right now, or do they hate each other? We can't ever really tell. There's literally, I, I mean, we would be the people to do it. Maybe when that, you know, that coveted Open the Voice Gate Patreon gets launched, the Shima Takamichinoku relationship is so lengthy and confusing that it probably deserves its own series because there's a lot there that I don't think people entirely realize just how much history those two have had with one another. Yeah, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, Shinshiro Takagi has always had kind of an off-and-on relationship with Dragon Gate dating back to the dramatic Dreamgate shows and the infamous uh, Dan Kashino. Dan, I always mess up his name, Dino. Dino and Tozawa match. So interesting that, that they would bring up that versus other things. And with that, we go from the February Corkin show to the March 1st Corkin show. Not a ton happened on the uh, normal TV dates at the end of February. I want to jump ahead to March 1st Corkin Hall in which we saw Genki Horiguchi, Ryo Saito, and Yasushi Kanda, all men unaffiliated at this point. They defeated Gamma, Jimmy, Kaka- Jimmy Kagatora, and Rich Swan in the opener. Ada Kobayashi and Jimmy Susumu defeated Super Shenlong and Super Shisa. KZ and Naruki Doi at this point still representing Blood Warriors defeated Kness and Kenichiro Rai. Dragon Ken and Pac defeated Masato Yoshino and Ricochet in a match that I would desperately like to track down. Your semi-main was Don Fuji and Masaki Mochizuki defeating Shingo Takagi and Yamato. And then the main event, which we just previewed a minute ago before the main event, Akira Tozawa decided to abandon the Blood Warriors name. The group was renamed to Mad Blanky, the yellow, black, and red attack. As it says in the iHeartDG notes, the group has renamed to Mad Blanky. Really, it got the reaction you would expect. They have a new entrance theme, but their ring costumes remain the same for this show. And in the Mad Blanky Cork and Hall debut, this unit that m- some would argue is the greatest thing Drangate has ever done. This unit was the peak of the heel unit. In their Cork and Hall debut, they lost in 20 minutes to Shima, Sanchiro Takagi, and Takamichinoku. And then after the match, before I toss it to Mike, it was noted that Naruki Doi hesitated on some interference spots at key points in the main event, leading directly to the loss. Tozawa was enraged afterwards, and he said that in line with making things a fresh start with Mad Blinky, Naruki Doi's services were no longer needed. They kicked him out of the group, but during the assault, Dr. Muscle came out to make the save with a Torvalino. Yeah, so one thing that we should have brought up in the lead-up here, uh, when Tozawa, really, I mean, Hulk kind of was the silent partner in this, but when Tozawa did the mutiny against Shima, the big thing was he was saying that all the old guys in the unit were fucking up. And specifically, he was going after Maraha Isapa, but and it was one of those things in that unit loser must have banned total climax match that he immediately after the match expelled Maraha Isapa. So... It's something that, like, they were, and Kanda was kind of on the way out as well. So it was not like this huge heel unit. They were already consolidating, eliminating people at the time. But the main event here, Case, it sucks. This is not a good main event whatsoever. So I have never seen the main event to this match. I no longer have access to the file that I once had for this show, but the version of the show I had was everything but the main event. And I don't know why that was, but it's it's a show that I haven't seen in years. But on top of that, 
I've never even seen this main event, but anytime Takagi is wrestling and then you have that awkward Shima Taka tension, this match doesn't exactly sound good. And, and it's something that with Mad Blanky, uh, everyone has warm memories of Mad Blanky, but they don't have more memories of 2012 through 2013 Tozawa-led Mad Blanky. And this is kind of the start of it. Like, it is a very complicated thing. It is something that I would love to one day sit down with all the parties and go like, all right, let's talk about 2012. Because there's a <laughs> lot of moving parts here, and there's a lot of things that seems like that and that momentum was built and then immediately kind of get them taken out the ankles there. And Mad Blinky. I mean, you like look at Mad Blinky, your top three at this time, at least natively, were Tozawa, Hulk, and Kong. That's uh, even with the ascent of Akira Tozawa, like it's not a strong unit <laughs> and then you you had the three bumbling presidents beat them and then all the while you have like all these other things and then most importantly we have dr muscle coming out for the save for naruki doi and that would be solved very very quickly it, it should be noted that the the big thing about mad blanky as we get into heat was everyone was like oh mad blanky's here mad blanky's here what's mad blanky meaning and Tazawa, in English and in Japanese, whenever someone asked him, he said it was bullshit, and everything else was bullshit, too. Yes, Akira Tozawa, not only a beautiful singer, but a beautiful poet. And like Mike mentioned, the Dr. Muscle situation would get sorted out very quickly, because the March 2012 of Dragon Gate was loaded with not only that Cork and Hall show, but they went to Osaka Bodymaker Coliseum number 2 on March 3rd and March 4th for the Champion Gate shows, I'm going to read the full card for this first night because this card looks unbelievable in hindsight. It opens with Shingo and Yamato versus Masato Yoshino and Super Shisa. We go from there to Akira Tozawa versus Chihiro Tamanaga, which Tozawa obviously won. Shima and Dragon Kid defeated Pac and Rich Swan. Jimmy Kagatora and Jimmy Susubu defeated BB Hulk and Cyber Kong in your two title matches on this show. Ricochet defeats Naruki Doi to retain the Open the Brave Gate title. And Genki Horiguchi, Ryo Saito, and Yasushi Kanda defeat Don Fuji, Gamma, and Masaki Mochizuki for the Venkat Open the Twin Gate titles. After the show, there's a ton of post-match angles. It would take me a long time to get through all of it. So the simple fact is that after this show, Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, Ricochet, Rich Swan, and Pac decided to form a unit. They had no official name, but they had decided to link forces. And Ryo Saito and Genki Horiguchi were offered spots to join the Jimmies by Susumu and Kagatora. And they accepted with the condition that Yasushi, now Jimmy Kanda, could join as well. Yeah, so things were really escalating real quickly. I was going to do the really, I was going to be seeing how great my brain was because I was like, okay, so let me guess what happened here because I don't have the full notes that you had from like, from like the 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 uh, after like the out of ring stuff there. But that was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, CK one versus Pack and Swan. I remember that being a lot of fun. And oh my this is god, the Mike, that match sounds so good. I mean, there's so much Rich yeah. Swan stuff within this time period that I would love to go back and rewatch because my theory on Swan was before he got signed by WWE. I was like, this is, like, he's not having the match of the year contenders, but this is, like, a top 10 guy in the world. I mean, he's really unbelievable. And I think if we went back and rewatched a lot of his Japan work, in the same way that Pac has been such a revelation in at USA, a guy that we always love, but now he's even better than we remember, I think we would have a similar thought about Rich Swan and his work in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And 
it's something where when Swan had something to do in in Dragon Gate, he always excelled. But it was also that they, because of Swan things, sometimes we, sometimes and Swan's talked about it. Sometimes Dragon Gate didn't treat Rich Swan always the best. No. So. And, and it's something also worth going on before we get night too. This is the launch of Champion Gate. After what happened with 311, 2011, and Fukushima and the tsunami, they they basically moved their bigger event that they, that they originally were having in Sumo Hall to a double shot at Body Maker 2, now known as ED on Tune Arena, Osaka. Just, just so people understand on the timeline. Yeah, it was a formation of kind of how we know the calendar now, and we would start to see the big five being implemented sooner rather than later. But we do get the second Champion Gate show on March 4th. The top two matches are the things that really matter here, with the Open the Twin Gate match with Jimmy Kagatora and Jimmy Susumu defeating Mad Blanky of Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk for those titles. I know... There are some people, and I, and I believe it is our loyal Twitter follower at Twitter follower at Angry Two One Six. I think this is one of his favorite Dragon Gate matches of all time. There are people that have this match as like an upper echelon Twin Gate match. It's been years since I've seen it, but I do know that the main event, the Open the Dream Gate title match, where Shima retained the belt over Pac, is one of my all-time favorite Shima matches. Pac matches, Dreamgate defenses, and Dragon Gate matches as a whole. Yeah, this, uh, like, for as interesting as Night 1 was, Night 2 is pretty fil- is pretty much, after you get out of, like, the Shenlong tag, you have a lot of interesting stuff there. We're already seeing, like, the roots of Akatsuki with Chihiro Tomonaga, Shingo Takagi, and Yamato teaming. Ada Kobayashi's on the other side with uh, two people of what soon will be called World One International, Yoshino and Ricochet versus Horiguchi and Kanda. And this is probably like after Kanda's like return and like kind of did like his big heel thing. The, it was a big thing that Kanda was a face now at the time because he was such a long term heel. He was the original heel in a lot of ways. So it's really it's a really cool time. It's a really cool card, and the two title matches are both stellar as well. And I mean. They st- when they started the Champion Gate concept, it is basically the exact same thing as we have now, and it's one of my favorite like set of shows that they have every year, just because they always do interesting things, and people and, and the wrestlers, they put forth a lot of effort, even on the undercard, if you're not in the title matches at Champion Gate, and there's a lot of good stuff there. After the main event, which again, I highly recommend you go out and find on the internet somewhere if you have not seen it. Uh, the translation from iHeartDG reads, Shima gave his customary long speech at the end. He talked about meeting Pac five years ago and the progress and growth that he has shown since then. He praised him for the fight today and said he wasn't sure if he could beat him again. Still, today was a win. He talked about Ricochet joining up with the Doi Yoshi unit. He said it would be a bit odd for them to continue teaming because of this, so they were going to have to part ways here. They shared a hug. He called Ricochet... Pac and Rich Swan, the three jewels of Drangate USA. He said with third group leading the international charge, Tozawa leading his group of evil punks, and the Jimmies doing, well, he wasn't exactly sure what the Jimmies were all about, but still, it was time for the reborn veteran army to attack. He mentioned the Triangle Gate challenge that Drang Kid made the night before. Along with Mochizuki, they were once again making it they were added to the title match in Wakayama, making it the first three-way six-man tag since 2010. And before we break down that Memorial Gate show, Mike, your thoughts on Shima calling Pac, Ricochet, and Swan 
rather than perhaps Pac, Ricochet, and Gargano, the three jewels of Dragon Gate USA? Well, we'll probably get into this more when we get past WrestleMania weekend, but Swan was, uh, or Swan, because he spent so much time there was and had such great crowd engagement, was thought much more highly by Native fans than Gargano when Gargano would show up. Because Gargano will show up again soon in, in UK and Japan, as will Air Fox, and that's always <laughs> that, that, that's a <laughs> that 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 was a trip that well intentioned was never going to work out. That is a but, fun yeah. tour to look back on. We will discuss that in depth when we get to the Gargano Air Fox Japan tour of 2012. <laughs> but yeah, no, it makes all sense, and and. This is also something that I would say that they probably, within after we get through this week and we talk about what happens with Uha Nation, Uha Nation would be the fourth jewel, I would say. And, and, and you see, I said this a couple uh, of months back. Th- this is the trade here. This is, you put the money down there, you, you, the, they're to share, their version to share is all the money case, and now they're reaping the benefits of that. And, and, and Shima recognized that. And then when you look at like how they have stuff and how they're building up things and especially in this wakayama card which is like up until they, they actually truly began running wakayama full force this was a stacked wakayama card especially considering who they brought in there as well yeah so let's talk about that this is the last dragon gate japan card that we'll discuss today then we'll go into some brief dragon gate usa newswire notes and then break down heat 2012 but this memorial gate and wakayama show happened on march 25th 2012 it opened with Shihiro Tamanaga, Eita Kobayashi, and Yosuke Watanabe defeating Kotoka, Shisa Boy, and Super Shisa. There was a 10-match series Thunder Fireside match where Tsushi Onita defeated Stalkery Chikawa in 8 minutes and 37 seconds. With all due respect to Stalkery Chikawa, I can't imagine sitting through that match. Match 3 was Mondai Ryu and the fake Naoki Tanazaki defeating Don Fuji and Gamma. And then we had match four, and before match four, there was an angle as the Doi Yoshi unit, Doi Yoshi unit announced their name before their match. It is World One International. The name is a combination of the prior unit and their new concept and members. Doi was pleased with the name since Pac is British, Swan and Ricochet are American, and Yoshino was from Thailand. And Yoshino yelled at him and assured everyone that he was Japanese, and then quickly changed the subject. And then we got our match here, which was Pac and Rich Swan defeating Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi in their first true tag team match in, in about a year and a half. Open the Brave Gate title match, Ricochet defeated KZ to retain the belt. Open the Twin Gate match, Kagatora and Susumu defended against Shingo and Yamato. In the main event, that nine-man, three-way Triangle Gate match with the Jimmys, Genki Horiguchi, Jimmy Kanda, and Ryo Jimmy Saito defeating Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, and Cyber Kong, and Shima, Dragon Kid, and Masaki Mochizuki. So one thing that is kind of lost here, and I didn't realize this was already happening, uh, Mondai Ryu, this is the former Super Senlong 2, Ape Kamada. He basically, over the, like, the last like year and a half of it, he does like this long 50-match trial series, where he's like, progressively going more insane, and he starts, like, ripping off his mask and wearing a clear mask. And then he's rebranded as Mondai Ryu. He's the saltiest wrestler. He is the problem dragon. It was kind of a joke that... And he was brought in immediately to be the fall post into uh, Mad Blanky. And this was his debut match as Mondai Ryu. Yes, I knew you would be able to describe that better than I could. Because I'm... 
2012 is an interesting point in Drangate, and I think you can speak to this a little bit, where there is a real lack of footage for right. a lot of 2012. It's, it's I talked, like, 2009, 2010, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's just not my favorite years in Drangate. 2011, I uh, was, you know, re-watching as we went along. 2012, there's just stuff that I just have never seen pop up anywhere. So I was going through the iHeartDG archives, and it was very confusing following Mm-hmm. what would become the Mondai Ryu story. But I knew if I mentioned his name, uh, Encyclopedia Mike would have the answer that I was hoping for. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Well, this was after... So 2012 wasn't just like a down period in content for Dragon Gate, Western-wise. It was just down like a lot of stuff that was making tape in Japan was not making it to the States unless you're ordering it from tape traders. So that's why a lot of it's not out there. So that's why it was happening like and it was one of those things that like i think a media fire was like the big trading thing where you all would download the media fire files and you hope that it would work for a long time and then everything kind of went this and then there was like there was like some like weird like uh, people who had ripped stuff like big like arguments and then they were trying to monetize their rippings it was a big mess in 2012 but yeah no it's it's a complicated time and not a lot of this stuff ended up making tape I want to say I remember the uh, Takayama the Takayama versus Jimmy's match, but I do not remember the KZ and Ricochet match at all. Yeah, this is another era of KZ. I, I wish Ricochet was doing literally anything else with his career so we could see a KZ versus Ricochet 2020 match, but that will not happen. So that is what is going on in Japan. The long story short, Mad Blinky has formed, the Jimmys have formed, World 1 International is there, and we also have the return of the veteran army. And that leads us into the Drangate USA Newswire. There's just a few notes to talk about coming on February 24th when Gabe Zapolsky announced the huge main event has been signed for Drangate USA's event in Hollywood, Florida on March 29th. It will be the three-way elimination match as Gabe writes, and I will read Gabe verbatim, it will be a three-way elimination match with trios. This explosive bout has Ronan of Johnny Gargano, Chuck Taylor, and Rich Swan versus what he referred to as Blood Wars, what would later become Mad Blanky of Tozawa Hulk and Uha Nation versus the DUF of Sammy Callahan, Eric Cannon, and Pinky Sanchez. So real quick, Mike, you know, we've talked a little bit about how this company has morphed and is becoming Evolve Light. That is something that I think is very present on this show. But we do have, after the No Rope match in November, Another implementation of a landmark key feature Dragon Gate style attraction coming to America. And arguably, I don't think it's arguably. Why did I say that? It is by far like the more important Dragon Gate Dragon System style match. The three-way and four-way trios matches are such a huge thing. And the fact that it was coming here and I actually had like the thing of like I knew this was happening, but I where I lived in Miami, where I worked in Miami, for me to make it to the show was near impossible. So I did not watch the show, but I was like, oh, they're doing the three-way elimination match. This is like one of the most, the biggest things possible. And I, I it, it's something like, we'll see how the no ropes matches change in Dragon Gate USA. But this was something that like, he goes back to, and when we get to 2014, he goes back to in a very weird way. <laughs> but it's something that, you know, the fact that they did this and the, I, I wonder if it was something that, that he saw, like, the cards that are being posted on iHeartDG, and he was like, oh, three-way elimination tag. That sounds great, because I don't believe Gabe 
with someone, especially like the like he was clued in on some stuff, and he's talked about that in the past. I don't know if he truly was clued in on how big of a thing that the three way, uh, the the three way elimination match is like. Because if he did, this would not be happening in Hollywood, Florida. Yeah, this show was also not an eye pay per view. We'll talk at length next week about some of the eye pay per view marketing that was going on this weekend and the competition in that marketplace, but Heat was a DVD-only show, similar to, again, Open the Southern Gate last year, or Chasing the Dragon from Indianapolis uh, in September that we talked about just a few weeks ago. We also have on February 24th, and this will become a, a topic as we get more into the Evolved Light portion of the show, that Bobby Fish is finally coming to Dragon Gate USA. Fish will make his DJ USA debut on this show in Hollywood, Florida, and it's notable because he is... With the exception of maybe Callahan and for a time Moxley and then Gargano and Taylor, Bobby Fish is one of the real standout stars in Evolve, but obviously has a style that is a bit contradictory towards the Drangate style. But now that it is all one universe, we see the debut of Bobby Fish. And then our final note is on March 26th. Drangit USA is looking for the 2012 breakout star, and there will be three breakout chance matches in Hollywood, Florida. It seems like every show now, or at least every weekend, we have some sort of breakout challenge gimmick, but this one will see the scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed wrestle Shima and Masaki Mochizuki. It will see Ricochet against Florida's top prospect, Mike Cruz, and we will be talking a lot about Mike Cruz on this show. And then we will also see Masato Yoshino against a mysterious luchador who was signed to a Drangate USA contract, but the name was not announced until his match. And I've also got plenty of notes on that wrestler when we get to that match. And Mike, with all of that in mind, I'm ready to talk about Heat 2012. All right, let's get into it. Heat 2012 opens with a shot of the German American Society Clubhouse in Hollywood, Florida. I have some history of Hollywood, Florida, but that's neither here nor there. Real quick, what did you think about this venue? It really reminded me of the venue that they ran in Boston, that Police Athletics League place, in a way. Yeah, well, yeah, similar setup with the balcony there. It is a really small room. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, there were only a few rows of chairs available, and it seemed like all of them were filled, but you really couldn't get a lot of bodies in that room. It will it will be interesting to see like next year you get the two Dragon Gate USA shows and the Evolve show on WrestleMania weekend. It seemed like this is a building that an Evolve show would get over in a more uh, politely calling it an intimate atmosphere, which is code for really small building. But on camera, I didn't mind. I I kind of liked the atmosphere that this building brought to the table. You like seeing the the uh, German crests on the wall. You like seeing the hardwood finishings. And then relax here a little bit. <laughs> and, and then the hard cam that had just like their setup that they would use the next night, which somehow they managed to shove into this room. Well, okay, yes. Well, once again, if Gabe Sapolsky had paid Mike Spears and I to run camera and I don't know, maybe make his company look presentable for once in his life, we could have. I'm just saying we could have done some damage in this room, okay? We could have made this place look high class, but they threw a hard cam up on the wall and said, all right, let's have some wrestling. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that, you know, maybe the... And when we get into talking about the venue, because I know that both myself and our guests for next week have thoughts on the venue that they ran in Miami Beach, the Deauville Hotel and Resort, it's very, like, interesting, and and it's really fitting the fact that this is 
this is co-brand of CZW because it felt a lot more like a CZW or a Vol venue the way you're describing it than it did a DGUSA venue. But times are changing and they're changing quick. Yeah, real quick, just before we break down the opening match, uh, Mike and I did not watch the CZW portion of this card. It was unavailable on the version of the show we have. But there were two death matches that headlined and main evented this show with Danny Havoc defeating Lucky 13 and DJ Hyde defeating Hashtag Save the Children Drake Younger. And it is notable because Kevin Steen of Ring of Honor fame was on commentary with Lenny Leonard for those matches. I'm kind of sad to not have him on commentary here, but it makes sense. I, I, I would have liked, I would have wondered what his thoughts were about the scene. I feel like that he probably <laughs> had, would have some takes there. So yeah, let's get into the show itself. Starts off with uh, low key versus Bobby fish. Low key wins with a key crusher in eight minutes and 32 seconds. Um, what were your thoughts on this? Cause I, this entire show had like a distinct sheen to me that, really started on this first match. But I wanted to see if our thoughts line up first. What were your thoughts about this match? Look, this is not the Dragon Gate USA that I know. This represents such a drastic shift in the tone of the company. And I'm someone that came on here last week and talked about how Loki versus BB Hulk was, in essence, kind of the true-to-form Evolve match that even Evolve got away from. And Loki versus Bobby Fish was just a lesser version of that. But even just the the minor switch of having Bobby Fish in for BB Hulk, you all of a sudden go, oh my god, like, this is not Drangit USA. This is something else. And for as much as I like Loki, for as high as I still am on him, and, you know, Bobby Fish was not the Bobby Fish that we would come to know and love, but he was a nice little wrestler at this point. I was so disturbed by the optics of this match of this standing striking almost battle arts tribute match more so than a Drangate USA match that I was disappointed by it I didn't like having this on the show because it's just not like you you see the red canvas you're buying a Drangate USA ticket this is not the kind of match that I want to watch it was a, it was kind of a bummer to start the show this way yeah and when I've talked about in the past, my dissatisfaction with certain things coming in here, this is like one of them. Like this match was like a two and three quarter stars match. It was it was interesting when they were striking and then they started grappling and it lost me and they never got me back with it. But it, it, it's something that I was like, all right, like sitting down and watching this, maybe we'll get Sheriff Loki again. You know how I feel about Sheriff Loki. He's here to be the greatest. Like you say, I'm the encyclopedia. Loki's the one out here who in Los Angeles was bringing up pro, pro wrestling war and battle arts with Masaki Mochizuki here. So it just like it's this this show distinctly was not a DG USA show. It was if they would have called this Evolve with Dragon Gate talent, I felt like that that would have been a more accurate representation of what the show ended up being. To be honest, oh god, yeah, and it's not, and it's not even like how we said that with Open the Golden Gate that was like very much like a Road Two show that was awesome. This is not like a Road Two show. Like this was not really building up to some things that were going to happen later the week and in Miami some things will be changed because of this show but you know I mean Bobby Fish at this time was fine I mean Loki was probably a little happy to wrestle someone he who he wrestled with in Japan and he knew had a legit background so Loki might have respected him he might have been like Bobby Fish I understand that you are currently 1-0 in kickboxing and you won this one match by knockout that is that is interesting I think of myself as a great striker as well do you like, know, I, uh, just because that reminded me, and this is something we can cover on a later episode as well, but do you know the story of when Loki wrestled Jigsaw? Oh, he hated it. 
Yeah, he said that, and this was Evolve 12. It's one of the next, it might be the next Evolve event we talk about. Uh, he wrestled Jigsaw, who, like, we've talked on this show, like, Jigsaw should have been using Dragon USA more. I can't believe he still doesn't have a contract. I think he's still so good. And Key came in and wrestled him, and backstage was going, well, he's not a legitimate striker. I can't work with him. I don't buy his his offense. Oh, my God, Key rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much like the sheriff has his, has his opinions. He believes who is the people worth his time and who isn't. And Jigsaw was not one of those people. And, and that's a match that was talked about a lot afterwards. And it's such a bummer because you think about Key's skill set and he could have like a really interesting, almost like early Toriyaman style grappling, like Shima match with Jigsaw. Like they didn't have to go in there and middle kick each other in the chest. They could have had a really interesting match, but Key has one mode that he wants to work in. And, you know, it works against BB Hulk. It, it doesn't really work against Bobby Fish and it did not work against Jigsaw. No, no, no. And then after the, after the match, we went backstage with Matt Blanky with their member, Uha Nation, because Uha was not kicked out of Blood Warriors. He was pulled into Matt Blanky, and I, I assume it's, it's thoroughly because he is Akira Tozawa's best friend, like, like shoot best friend. So I, I was happy to see the two of them there. Uha was doing a promo. Sadly, the charming Uha Nation promos have come to an end. This was basically him saying, like, Matt Blanky's here to wreck all these teams. And then he says, hey, Tozawa. What does Mad Blanky mean? And he says, he says in English, Mad Blankly means bullshit. Everything else means bullshit. And he kind of storms off because now we have, now we are deep in like the just psychotic Akira Tozawa phase. A great promo. Uh, not from our man Uha Nation, but I thought Tozawa was so, so convincing and so entertaining in the way that he spoke in English here. Yeah, I mean, Tozawa even at the time, was pretty close to fluent in English. So <laughs> it, it, it went pretty well. And then we went to the next match. This was this is Ricochet versus Case's main man, the number one prospect in the state of Florida, Mike Cruz. Ricochet won in 10 minutes and 10 seconds with a shooting star press. So what do you know about Mike Cruz? I remember him being on these shows, and that's it. Tell me, because it seems like you know more about Mike Cruz than I do. Well, I just, I have a very fond memory of, like, 2015, 2016. Uh, it's a little bit of, like, the dying days of tweeting, uh, of tr treating Twitter like a message board when it was uh, Case Low and Voice of Wrestling and Dylan Hales and whoever else just lobbing these nuclear takes. In the hobby? It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. 
And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals i'm cat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal. And people just not really understanding the discourse and the power of Twitter yet. And then also some like, real deep indie PWO discussions of people that had migrated from, say, a DVDVR to PWO and Mike Cruz being a real topic of conversation. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on this. I'm not going to look it up. Mike Cruz might have had at least a nomination thread for the Pro Wrestling Only Greatest Wrestler Ever project. If he did, he didn't okay. get any votes. He did. He didn't get any votes. I know that. I know that. He might have had a thread though. If he didn't have a thread there, he was at least discussed constantly in the microscope section because Mike Cruz. Had he continued working, and if you look at his cage match, it's primarily worked through 2014, a little bit in 2015, and then a few matches in 2016 and one in 2017 before he finally kind of says his farewell. Had he continued working at a regular pace in 2016, 2017, 2018, this is a guy that would be all over the Scenic City Invitational shows. He would be on the SUP shows now. Like, he would be... Almost the praise, and I don't know how many of our listeners were even necessarily around for this, but like the praise of the resurgence of Jimmy Rave in 2016 and 2017, Mike Cruz would have been a huge deal in that scene. And I specifically remember 
a lot of discourse around this time of like people being upset with Evolve and the end of Dragon Gate USA, more so the end of Evolve on those websites, and a constant complaint being, man, why didn't they book Mike Cruz more? Mike Cruz could have helped them out so much. And I looked everywhere for this. I don't know if, I think it's a tweet from Gabe's Twitter account, which means it got deleted years ago. But I looked everywhere on the internet because at some point, somebody accused Gabe of not booking Mike Cruz anymore because Gabe didn't like Mike Cruz's face. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I remember Gabe specifically responding to that and it either being linked (laughs) into a message board, probably pro wrestling only, or maybe I just saw it on Gabe's Twitter feed. And again, since then it, it, you know, has been nuked probably multiple times, but him being really upset that somebody said that he stopped booking Mike Cruz because he didn't like his face. Whereas I think Gabe was just saying, no, he wasn't good enough to work for me. But I just, I remember this specific (laughs) response and I couldn't find it anywhere and it drove me crazy but Mike Cruz was a Florida guy who came up I'm assuming around the same time as John Davis and weirdly like wasn't an FIP guy he was kind of working the other spots in Florida which is really weird to think about because I think just I I don't know I will talk about the match but I I mean I would have continued booking him after his performance against Ricochet if you know you don't know a ton about Mike Cruz. I know the one match of his, and this will make sense given his opponent and that circle in particular losing their minds over this match. Mike Cruz had a really popular internet match with Two Cold Scorpio in like yeah. 2011 or 2012. It's for a promotion called USA Pro. It doesn't come up on Cage Match, but if you look on YouTube, Mike Cruz versus Two Cold Scorpio, there's a few different listings of the match. I'm sure I've seen it at some point. I don't have any notes for it, though. But I know, like, that was the Mike Cruz match. And there were people deeply embedded in the indie scene, in particular, like, the offshoot sort of IWA Mid-South level indie scene that were losing their minds for that specific match. So there's a lot of Mike Cruz lore, even if he's a guy that really didn't work on a regular basis after 2014 but I just I will have this defining memory of Gabe at least being accused of no longer booking Mike Cruz because he didn't like his face you know I I watched this match and I thought that this was fine and that tells you I was not a part of that scene of Twitter (laughs) you you know (laughs) no no, you were not (laughs) and I, I remain not to this point I thought this match was fine uh this was a match I feel like was hampered by the arena because they weren't. There was basically one place you could do dives, and for like Ricochet at this time, I mean that's part of it, and it was a low ceiling place. So I mean you got the shooting star versus any of his other moves that he would do because usually he would go for the six thirty if he was not doing the double moonsault here, but it was just a shooting star to win this match. I thought this was fine, you know, like nothing on this show is bad until we get into the next match. I really like this match. I Maybe I just okay. came in excited to watch Mike Cruz, but again, if I had any sort of say in this promotion at the time, and I saw Cruz work against Ricochet here, Cruz would have at least been invited to one of the Miami shows to work. I mean, he, he shows up on probably the next four or five Evolve shows after this. I think he worked an Evolve show prior to this as well. So Gabe used him for at least a little bit on a low level. But I really liked him here because I think he and Ricochet meshed really well there there's a point where ricochet 
is really kicking him hard. And it was just like a new era of Ricochet. And one of the few points to 2012 in Ricochet's career where we clearly had the experience edge on a guy and Ricochet was working with that in mind. And that was really nice to see from him. And I thought Cruz held his own. I mean, they were in sync with all of their spots. He hung with Ricochet in sort of those fast-paced opening sequences that Ricochet liked to do. So I ended up going three and a half on this match because I thought in the essence of whatever the breakout challenge of the month is, whatever Gay was trying to do to get new talent, quite honestly, I thought Mike Cruz delivered. And of what we would see with the next two breakout challenge matches, I would come away from this going, yeah, Mike Cruz is the guy. Like, he's the guy we need to to turn our attention to. Now, things would obviously change for a few of those guys in there, and they would improve. But Mike Cruz never gets that chance to improve, and I honestly think it's a, it's a shame because I really liked him here. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I was more taken back by you already had him coming out to White Ghetto for Ricochet. And he has, like, the black and pink tights, which, for me, for a lot of, like, even, like, Mad Blanky and Monster Express, like, the black and pink's kind of what I identify with him, you know? Very so, much like, so. Like, it does feel like the step up for Ricochet that, like, and it's weird, because World 1 International was not a long-tenured unit. It's just, that's what's carved in my brain for him in Dragon Gate. After the young, after, like, his very early stage, like, like coming in there and the, and the crowd losing their mind for the double moonsault, because Shima made him do the double moonsault every night and probably help lead to the degradation of his knees. Yeah, absolutely. But we had a lot of stuff after this. So first, Hulk and Akira came out to attack Ricochet, but Shima and Misaki Mochizuki make the save. They have broken up in Japan, but they have not broken up in America yet. They are still the United Gate champions. And then we go backstage for a DUF promo case. And it's a pretty... It, the, now we're getting into the DUF that I remembered a little bit with. It was... DUF was mad at Pinky Sanchez being drunk and losing his gear. Cannon and Callahan were trying to cut a promo about Mad Blanky and Pinky is drunk. They are mad that they are not getting uh, respect. And this was like a two-minute long thing of like Isom trying to say a line and then Pinky Sanchez acting drunk. It was an, I thought like this was an incredibly annoying promo and segment. So I was very curious as to how you were going to feel about this. I will say... It went on too long. We kind of got the point that Pinky Sanchez was drunk and forgot his gear. But if you if you remove, say, 30 to 45 seconds of this, maybe cut it down to a 60 to 90 second promo, I got to say, Mike, the DUF continues to deliver for me. I I thought this was well done for what it was. And it and adds a wrinkle to Pinky Sanchez that it, it's the most interesting thing and the most character work that he's shown and again, we're still at a point here where I really like the mic work of Callahan. I really like Callahan in general at this point. And Eric Cannon played his role well. So too long of a promo. We got it, and then it kept going. But on paper, I do not hate the idea of this promo. I, you know, it's the execution, really, that, that fails this. Because it was nice having that. And especially with, like, the idea that DUF should be ascendant after the end of Freedom Fight 2011. They're finally dressing like, we should be the top team. Like, I liked that portion of it. It just was getting too much into, like, Pinky Sanchez bullshit for me. So, I think, like, that was my issue with that, at least. Uh, then we get into the next match. We get find us, we get to discover who the mysterious luchador is. As it's Masato Yoshino versus the mysterious luchador, it would become Samurai Del Sol, now known today as... I just blanked on his name. I, Kalisto. I, Kalisto. 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 Masato Yoshino lost this match. 
as the as uh, Samurai del Sol won with a reversal out of the Sol Naciente. Before the match, Johnny Gargano came out and he said, "Hey, I'm I respect you all. I'm just out here scouting." And then he sat right in front of the uh, right in front of the uh, the entrance way for the entire match. And oh boy, this was not a good debut. Yeah, it is. It is a rough spot. I, I think I, I'll let you sort of hammer home maybe the intricacies of the match. I, I will say from a big picture perspective, you know, Yoshino's challenging Gargano for the Freedom Gate belt. Lenny makes a note that Yoshino's won every title in the Dragon system at this point, but the Freedom Gate title because he was a United Gate champion and was a, a quadruple crown guy over in Japan. And normally, I would hate, hate, hate the idea of the title challenger losing the night before, especially to who at this point was a nobody in Samurai Del Sol. But at this point, Del Sol has been signed to an exclusive Dragon USA contract. And I also know through talking to somebody recently that Del Sol's guarantee was more than any American, uh, any other American's guarantee in the history of Dragon USA. He was the highest paid guy on these shows more so than Chuck Taylor, Rich Swan, Johnny Gargano. I'm assuming Ricochet is involved in that as well. Pac, probably not. He's more closer linked to the Japan office. I know behind the scenes, there was the American locker room and the Japanese locker room, and Pac would always be in the Japanese locker room. But Del Sol had the highest guarantee of anybody once he came on board. And given... Uh, the rest of his booking in 2012 in both Dragon USA and Evolve, I, just knowing what's to come, I'm okay with this result. It's one of those that I think in 2012 I would have had a huge reaction against this, but now I have hindsight and I know what the Evolve booking plans are for, say, July and August of this year. So I'm okay with the finish because I don't think Yoshino was hurt from it and I think it helped Del Sol, but the match was a little rough. That's a light way of putting it. Yeah, I don't have issue with the booking of it. I think the match was terrible. I felt like <laughs> that. I, I I'm just gonna. I I guess I'm playing bad cop on this show. Samurai Del Sol looked like someone who trained for like six weeks. This like, is, this is the we, sloppiest I've ever seen Del Sol look. This is a, probably his worst match I've ever seen. Now, granted, I haven't seen a lot of his Mexico stuff, but it's weird that he and Yoshino just didn't click at all. Yeah, they didn't click at all. So it was just like he completely botched a bunch of moves. Uh, for someone like uh, Masato Yoshino to visibly see this guy getting mad in the ring, like he was getting the furthest it was going on here, he was going like, "What is going on with this?" So he does a botch springboard hurricanrana like out of the gate that was supposed to uh, send uh, uh, Yoshino to the floor, but then he had to kind of like redo it then. And then there was another springboard dive that he completely missed, and then the crowd just, just like got behind him because, like, hey, this guy is trying. And then he was not able to base for a Torbellino, so it looked like a weird, like, diagonal uh, a flying crossbody in a way. Like, that definitely was a Torbellino that he was going for. That that was when Yoshino, like, when he, like, landed, like, just stared at the referee with his eyes bulged. And you could tell, like, oh, Yoshino's about to lose it. Yeah, it's weird just because I think everything we know about Yoshino is this cool, calm, collected guy, you know, takes things in stride. It's the only time I think outside of the idea of the match structure, you know, something real, really annoying Yoshino. It was a different side of him. 
just because Del Sol just could not get it together. And again, very unlike Del Sol, well, I pretty much everything else we'll talk about with him, I'm like, oh my god, this guy's amazing. Like, he's so right. good. Not at this match, though. I tweeted out the gif of the Bosch dive to the outside that I still just can't get over how bad that looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably one of the few times I've ever seen Yoshino, like, lose it. Like, he is, like, one of the most calm customers ever. Like, nothing phases him. One of the most respected people within the Dragon System history. With If not the most respected, he's one of, the, like, the top three. And you could just tell this guy's like, I'm going through this. And you could tell why this was his last weekend in America. Yes, that is something that we will monitor at the end of this weekend of all of the people that suddenly disappear from this promotion and the talent pool is not exactly filled because they didn't book Mike Cruz. That's the problem. That's it. That's it. Uh, Post-match, uh, Johnny Gargano said that this is awkward, but he's still looking at his son Saturday. He still knows how important uh, of a competitor that Masato Yoshino is. He still knows that it'll be a big-time fight. Yoshino basically shouts out, and like gritting through his teeth, I do not want to be insulted, and then throws the mic down and leaves the ring. I like I like Yoshino here. I like when he cuts promos in English, uh, in in a genuine way of like, oh, he like even more so than the broken English promos of Shima or you know the fluent English of Tozawa. Like Yoshino is kind of that broken English realm, but it always it's just something different that I like. Like I there's a legitimacy to him speaking that I just find to be very intriguing. Well, he's very like calm and collected, but he's very like brief with his words so they have more impact. I would say very much so like, like you can tell that like he thought I was like, I am not going to be insulted. And he had a genuine look of anger, which I would say is less at less at Johnny Gargano than it was at what the last 15 minutes of his life was. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. That, then, that, uh, that Del Sol Yoshida match. I mean, I went two and a half on it because I, I really, I, I didn't hate it as much as you. I did not hate it as much as you. And it doesn't even compete with the worst stuff we've seen in Dragon Gate USA. But in terms of like just a match falling apart, we haven't really seen something quite like this yet, where I think there are a lot of planned ideas and none of them are really executed. Right, yeah. I went one and a half. Yeah, that from from your tone, Mike, from your very stern tone, that doesn't entirely surprise me. Yeah, because I look at like the really, really bad stuff, like talking about Mercury Rising 2010, talking about the main event to uh, Freedom Fight 2011. And those are different kind of things. Like, the, a match does not fall apart like this in Dragon Gate USA t up until this point like this match did. And it's just kind of remarkable. Like, it's – and it's something where I feel like that if they would have a rematch outside of this, like, after, like, Samurai also, like, kind of settles in, it probably would have been outstanding. I could see this match being outstanding just this night in, in freaking Hollywood, Florida. Not even in Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood. Don't care for Hollywood, Florida case. Yeah, what's the what's the scene like in Hollywood, Florida? Okay, so uh, I shot an MFA, uh, or I produced rather an MFA thesis film for a friend in Hollywood, and it's like a beach town, but it's a very like it's a snowbird beach town, and it's with all that entails with that. Uh, you do get a lot of international uh, travelers and people who would have like guest houses there. And it just kind of sucks. It's just kind of a sucky town. Like it's it just stinks. It, it's one of those things that like you're you're far north of Miami, but you're not like in Lauderdale, Boca, like that whole area. Like it's it's just not a it, 
it's a place that the beach there is nice but it's just kind of like a shitty town like just a it's weird to like describe like a suburb of miami fort lauderdale as like it's kind of a shitty town and i feel like i've said that a lot but not a hollywood florida fan at all. Uh, that that is good to know. You know, I, I'm obviously in my senior year of college right now in the Midwest, but I I keep on having this overwhelming feeling that my work will take me down south at some mm-hmm. point, and I and I welcome that opportunity quite honestly. But I will be sure to avoid Hollywood, Florida, if I if I can. I I mean, it, it, I know a lot of cooler places that are in the south of Miami, but north of Miami kind of stinks. That's north good to Miami. know. Yeah, yeah. Case I could see you being like a Key West guy. Maybe down in Homestead, what are the, Key Largo. Yeah, I feel like I went to St. Petersburg once, and I was like, yeah, I could mm. I could do this, but no, Mike yeah. not a fan? Oh, St. Petersburg's fine. Okay. I, I mean, that's Tampa area. Tampa's its own kind of crazy. Yeah, I kind of, I was into Tampa when I was there. I it just, I, you know. I could see you being a Tampa person, though. Big music scene in Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Like, Florida yeah. is, obviously, it's Florida. I think enough is said there, but if I'm going <laughs> to end up there... I you know Mike Spears King of the Nightlife obviously big fan of Miami me I'll I'll take Tampa I you know I'm I'm the alternative guy I'm a bit off the beaten path I I could very easily and happily wind up in Tampa Florida I I'll say this I could plot out someone a 48 day a 48 hour thing in Miami does not require you going to South Beach that would be a lot more fun than going to South Beach <laughs> Case how do you have you ever heard of the Coral Castle case No I have not all, all of our all of our listeners, uh, pause the podcast. Go look up Coral Castle because it's the one of the most crazy things in the world, and it's worth going to. That that's that one thing. Also, a a karaoke bar in Little Havana where you have like 16, 70 year olds just like rock out to Aguanale, and those were the days. Just great times. Those that that's my Miami. That's my South Florida. <laughs> that's my Miami. Oh well, Mike, I gotta I gotta head down south now. Let's get this vaccine in me and let's go to a karaoke <laughs> bar near the near the Coral Castle. There we go. There we go. Uh, two guys who would not be going to a karaoke bar after the next match is the 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 scene versus the veterans return. As we were talking about team veteran, this is team veteran returns. Their second of their three iterations. Shima Masaki Mochizuki defeat the scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed accompanied by Amber O'Neill and Larry Dallas in 14 minutes and 59 seconds when Shima hits a stereo meteora on both guys but gets the pin on Conley. I forgot that the Team Veteran Returns theme was like a Dance House remix of episodes. It's unreal. It is actually, Great and I'm, I'm not I'm not a big uh, theme song guy, but I heard the, the Team Veteran Returns theme and I was in my element to say the least that was it was nice to hear and shima hitting the stereo meteora i've never seen him do that spot before i don't think i loved the finish of this match (laughs) shima was mad uh shima hurts his neck in this match i did not notice where but there is a moment in the match i must have been taking a note and i looked up and shima was pissed off (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I sent Mike a message because we, we don't typically talk about these shows before we, we review them on the air. and I We sent, don't like to color each other's opinions. No, because I kind of like guessing as to, you know, what DUF segment Mike is going to hate that I'm going to be a fan of. But I sent him a message. I was like, hey, I don't know if I was looking down at my phone at the wrong spot. I don't know what it was. I know Shima really hurts his neck in this match, but I didn't I didn't see where it happened. And it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that you know, there was at least nothing obvious to you either. What jumped out to me here, just aside from Angry Shima, was the chemistry between Masaki Mochizuki and Scott Reed. I am all about it. Scott Reed is someone who, I think when he debuted, we were like, okay, like here we go. This dude, this dude knows what's up. 
And then maybe it's just a, a proxy of him teaming with Caleb Conley, who, again, will get to a point where I really like Caleb, but it's still not here yet. But I feel like we never really got the progression from him that I was expecting. Here, Scott Reed turned it up a level, and I thought he was great. Yeah, and Masaki Mochizuki, who I think is this, one of the smartest wrestlers of all time, was like, all right, this is something for me to like to sink my teeth into. And it, it, it's something where, like, at this point, or if you were like to present the show to me, I would not say that this would be my favorite match of the show to this point, but they ended up having like a really fun 15-minute match. Uh, all the while, Larry, uh, Larry Dallas is just cutting up and reacting, and Shima and Mochizuki were not a fans. Lenny Leonard, not a fan of all of all the shenanigans here, and it it was something that like it's interesting like how much like they were able to get like the idea of Mochizuki's going to have the same fight out of everyone, but when you get like angry Shima. Angry Shima can be something special. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's nice to see the veteran army still caring at this point. I mean, the fact that they could turn it up to just that that level of effort that's required to be that pissed off is nice to see. Yeah, and then in the post match, uh, Mad Blanky was out again. It was Hulk and Akira first, and then Ricochet came. Ricochet came to try to make the save because even though in Japan they are split, there's obviously the relationship here. Spike Mohicans was still together as I. Said a little bit ago, but then Uha completes the beatdown. Tozawa gets the mat, the microphone, and does his "Mad Blanky means bullshit" line, and that line is over, and it is is over in front of these CZW fans in Hollywood, Florida. I'm glad you brought this segment up because I forgot to mention this earlier. Both Shima and Ricochet at this point are double champions uh, mm-hmm. between Dragon Gate Japan and Dragon Gate USA. Neither of them come out with the belts, and I don't know why that struck me as odd, but the fact that neither of them did it struck me as really odd. I wonder if, like, because they were all based in Miami Beach, I wonder if the belts were just not in the loadout, you know? But they also don't always bring over the Brave Gate belt. They usually bring over the Dream Gate, so I don't remember Shima having the Dream Gate belts in Miami. I don't remember him having that belt. Yeah, which so it, might not just it, it would be to one thing America. if... You know, Shima and Ricochet just didn't have the Dream and the Bravegate belts, but they're the tag team champions, and those belts are nowhere to be seen. And I know they're not teaming, but I just thought it was strange that they had nothing with them. You know, there, there are a lot of times that now that I'm looking back at 2011 that that you would have that uh, Pac and Yoshino wouldn't come out with the United Gate belt, and they're still called the champion. It's interesting. I wonder what like the thought process is with them not coming out with the tag team belts because this is not the first time this has happened. It's just this is one that seemed kind of obvious. Yeah, and you would think at the end of the shows they just toss them in Gabe's pickup truck and move on with their life. I, w- I would think they would be at the venue, at least the, the Freedom Gate and the United Gate belts at all times, but that doesn't seem to be the case, and I just found it to be a little strange. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm interested in, in, in knowing why the United Gates would always be left in the back. Because it was not just here. It, was, it happened a lot, and it would happen a lot through the remainder of the promotion. It's interesting. Like, like that's something I'm going to now keep an eye on. Yeah, I'd, I'd like I to see next week if Shima has his belts. Yep, yep. And then we get to the semi-main event of the DGUSA portion of the show. It was Pac versus Air Fox. Uh, Pac won with the Liger Bomb in 17 minutes and 37 seconds. I thought this ruled. I thought that this was a solid match. This was the best match on the show, in my opinion. And, you know, it's one of those things that I wish this match would have happened in better circumstances and in, like, a more and like a better venue for it. But I feel like these two guys worked great together. They've always kind of, these two have had good chemistry. 
Really liked it. I, I will say right now, before we talk about it, I like the main event just a little bit better, and I will defend that opinion when we get to it. But Pac and Fox had excellent chemistry here. This is, we see after his 2011 where he's wrestling Ricochet pretty much the entire year and leading him into the man that he would become. This is full-bore Pac just being on another level than even your Ricochets or Rich Swan or A.R. Fox. There's a reason that Pac would be signed after this weekend because he's just so much better than everyone else. And it's interesting to see him and Fox wrestle here because Pac does something to A.R. Fox that I've still never seen anybody do quite the way Pac did it, where A.R. Fox goes for the low main pain, that sort of one-man Spanish fly that he does, and Pac countered it into a German suplex. Just with the snap of the fingers, he was in another position and dumped Fox on his head. That was the real highlight for me. But this is one of those matches where I think it would be very easy for this to not meet expectations because it's two flyers, primarily babyface guys. The dynamics necessarily aren't built in for a great match, but because Pac is so good, he brought it out of AR Fox. I ended up going three and three quarters on this. I really, really liked it. Yeah, three and three quarters as well. It, like that German out of Lomain Payne into the closing stretch was exceptional. It's one of those things that it's a shame that pack will be signed soon and because like after he drops the brave gate belt to ricochet there was so much left on the the play as we've seen in japan talking about him getting a dream gate shot we'll see how his his whole his like basically his departure road for the next four months in japan is very interesting to me because it's something that until like adrian neville and nxt became a thing like he was like this stretch was like some of the best stuff of his career Basically, like the Rick at 2011, 2012. Of course, now I think he's greatly exceeded that, but it's something that, like, I wonder if what would have been the plans and what would have been, like, the future of him. Because I feel like that if, if Pac was more able to be in the States more often, you strap him up and basically you're having matches with him and AR Fox, him and John Davis. That would have been an <laughs> incredible match. And that's not something I would have said two months ago. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the path. If Pac, if Gabe can guarantee Pac that that he'll be there for the next year, if Pac doesn't get signed, you could reasonably say, well, then, you know, let's at the anniversary show, which was in Chicago this upcoming year, we're, you know, about a month away from talking about that. Let's have Pac beat Gargano for the title and let's ride our guy, uh, you know, as much as we can, because one of the big things that's really come out to me during this project is just how important Pac has been to Drangate USA. In my opinion, the MVP of the entire promotion up to this point, and we'll talk about it when we eventually, you know, two years from now in terms of the timeline of Drangate USA, about four months from now in reality, when we end this promotion, it'll be really interesting to see if either a Pac, or I'm sorry, if either a Rich Swan or a Ricochet or a Johnny Gargano can overtake the legacy of Pac, because right now I think he is number one in Drangit USA. I think it is his promotion, and, and somebody else with more longevity is going to have to come and take that top spot from him, because he has just been a revelation. He's been unbelievably great every single time he wrestles in Drangit USA. In Japan, he just had that Dreamgate shot against Shima, and I think, realistically, you could look at about a year from now, May 2013, who wins King of Gate that year? Well, it's Ricochet. And then we see another year-long build to Ricochet eventually winning the Dreamgate belt. I think if Pac stays 
it's fair to say King of Gate 2013 might be his instead. I mean, I think he might become champion before that, given the time scale. Yeah. it I does feel, at least in my opinion, I could see how Shima would want to hold to, to would that, but that title reign, like the, the, the 13 key reign would have ended sooner to pack. Cause it feels like, cause the, after they run through all the Shima Royale stuff, it seems like pack would have made a lot of sense there. And maybe, maybe it ends up that maybe cause 2012 King of Gate winner is. It's a weird oh. King of Gate. I can't think of who yeah. it is off the top of my head, but I can find out for you in just a second. Cause it's one of those years that. Right. It's just like, huh? That, okay. That is it Susumu? 2012 is Horiguchi. Oh, yeah, it's Horiguchi. He wore the tank top all I, those years. I almost said Horiguchi because I remember the tank top, but I was getting some number dyslexia there. Yeah, yeah that's no. right. It was Horiguchi. Yeah, no, that's that's a it's a very strange King of Gate that we'll, we'll talk about in a, a few episodes. Very, very weird tournament. I, I think that he should break out the tank top now. Okay, great. I mean, well, he was wearing it. What? I mean, he was wearing it last year at times. I think. I the, the, <laughs> as, as long as the tank top fits, by all means, brother, keep on wearing it. Horaguchi saw that'd be great. I'd love that. Years later, Genki Horaguchi <laughs> is still living off the legacy of King of Gate 2012. Well, I mean, at least it's more recent than living off the legacy of El Numero No 2004. 2003. That's right. It was 2003. I must say. I almost said 2012 for him before, and I almost said he won it there, and I almost said Numero no 2003, and I'm happy you're here to collect to correct me because it was in my mind. I was like, no, it was later. No, yeah. So it's eight years now. There should be something that Ginky Horiguchi wins now because it, it's like every eight or nine years. So, Well, yeah, three and three quarters on Pac versus AR Fox. I thought this was this was a massive win all around. I really like this match. Yep, yep. My 2011 MVP continues to have the best stuff on the show, in my opinion. Then we had more promos, and that led us to the main event, the three-way six-man elimination match. For those who aren't familiar with this thing, this thing, it's not that every member of your team eliminated is eliminated. Is if you lose a fall, you're your whole team's out. So this is arguably the the bread and butter of the Dragon System. This is the this is the biggest match that they do between units, and that and this time we had an, a nearly all American version of it as we had. Mad Blanky of Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, and Uha Nation, Ronin of Chuck Taylor, Johnny Gargano, and Rich Swan, and DUF of Eric Cannon, Pinky Sanchez, and Sammy Callahan. I almost forgot we did not talk about the Ronin backstage promo before the uh, Pack and Air Fox match. <laughs> Chuck Taylor just. <laughs> we were seeing shades of Poppin' Dogs and Talking Hogs, Chuck Taylor in that promo. It is wild. It, it look it doesn't it whatever people might think maybe there's going to be some Chuck Taylor promos that are eventually unearthed and he has to make a, a notes app apology doesn't bother me because I think Chuck Taylor's a good dude and it's also it's like well it's 2012 like it wasn't that long ago but no we are living in an entirely different stratosphere at this point and Chuck Taylor is uh, is just letting things fly it is un- uh, unbelievable that that promo aired on a Dragon Gate USA show not that he said slurs or anything. Just horribly offensive, but just the tone of that promo was so shocking in 2020. I, I almost don't want to give away the promise. Chuck Taylor talks about his bang list, basically. It was his like his to, bang wish list, what he would like to accomplish. Yeah, yes, and and then he cuts like a tryhard promo and flexes his bicep and has the camera zoom in on the bicep after everyone's asking why Rich Swan is speaking Japanese. <laughs> just a truly insane thing. Uh, 
and everyone's slapping Johnny's back when he's still like, my back still hurts everyone. Be nice to me. Just a wild Ronin promo. Probably one of like the most just absurd things that this promotion has. Let's get into the main event now. I just, I had to mark that. I was like, wait, we didn't, I didn't talk about that promo. It's in my notes. There we go. We talked about it. Do you have any other thoughts on that promo before we get into the main no, event? No, God, I'd much rather talk about the main event. All right. So as I mentioned, the team's Matt Blinky versus Ronin versus DUF. It is a Mad Blinky sweep in 24 minutes and 22 seconds. The eliminations are BB Hulk eliminating DUF with a first flash to Pinky Sanchez, and then Tozawa winning with a capture German on Gargano. So both of the title challengers, or both sides of the Freedom Gate main event, have lost. So uh, the big thing here is Uha Nation. On they, they do a series of dives, and Uha Nation gets tripped in the ropes and tears completely tears his knee up and is pulled out about like 12 minutes into the match. And the crowd really deflates from there. And they get him back towards the end. But it's one of those moments that as soon as he landed, he's wincing. And everyone knew that it was bad. Uha Nation would be out for about until the until 2013. So this is it for Uha Nation for a while. I think it's until WrestleMania weekend of 2013. I could be wrong, but I think that's... I thought he came back a little bit before that. Let me, uh, let me take a quick scroll through his cage match. It's not a lengthy cage match, but... Uh... Yeah, this injury sucked. It, I, I was so on board with this match. And, and Mike, just quickly to answer your question, he comes back. I forgot about this. He comes back on April 19th, 2013 in a Twin Gate match and wins the Twin Gate belts in his first match back. So he actually is gone for over a year. He doesn't return to Dragon Gate USA until these summer events of 2013 which I have very fond memories of. So Uha's gone for over a year because of this injury. He returns in Japan in March. So 11 months here, but or 11 months. Is it March or, March or April? March. His first match back is him and Hulk defeating Mochi Fuji. Yeah, maybe I, maybe I read that. Oh, I see now. I read that cage match incorrectly. I do apologize. Uh, it looks like he's back. He, he is back at WrestleMania weekend of the past year. I did not scroll down far enough. So anyways, so Uha's gone for 11 months and it's a real bummer because I don't know about you. I was into this match before oh, Uha got hurt. Uha and Sammy Callahan were the stars of this match. They were throwing bombs at one another and it was just a sign of Uha that we hadn't really gotten to see on Dragon Gate USA shows yet. And it, it was, it was working so well the guys, as a cohesive nine-man unit, seem to really have the pacing and the structure of this match down. And then clearly, once Uha goes out, things fall apart to an extent because there's just there's a guy that's supposed to be there that's not there, and it, it takes them, you know, it takes the crowd a long time to rebound, but it takes the wrestlers a minute, really, too realistically, to kind of figure out what to do in this match because things really come to a halt and it's just, it's a real bummer. I should note, I thought Eric Cannon and, and I, you know, I don't know for sure. I've obviously never wrestled a match, but when Uha takes that nasty spill to the outside, it looked like Eric Cannon did a great job of protecting Uha and then making sure that uh, the proper care was needed. So Cannon, the always professional guy that he is, that was a great job out of him there. But even with the slower second half, with this altered on-the-fly version of the second half of this main event, 
I still thought it was an excellent match. BB Hulk and Pinky Sanchez had good chemistry. I liked what they were doing. And then the final spots with Gargano and Tozawa, we're going to get a lot of that going forward, and it is always going to deliver. Yeah, it's something where everything was flowing really well. And that was the thing is, as much as I detested that DUF promo, they fit in here really, really well. There was a funny moment pre-match where DUF, of course, has their beers. Uh, Darkseid Hulk has his ball of wine. They're, they're going Kampai, Eric Cannon, and Hulk. And then they trade each other's drink, and they hate each other's drink, and then they spit it at each other and start the match that I thought was just like a really like funny like little thing. It's like, of course those two would interact that way. I thought that was pretty true to character. Uh, Sammy Ca- Callahan wearing tights is a weird is always something to like wrap your head around and it just like really looked it was something where callahan and uha looked really great and then they had like this really prolonged segment that when you look at this like mad blanky are the true heels even though the crowd loves tozawa and tozawa has that charm and then you have duf which are more tweener leading heels and then you have ronin's as like the soul faces and there's a, a really prolonged but interesting basically six-on-one segment of everyone getting a lot of heat on Johnny Gargano that I thought was really solid as well. And the one thing that you didn't mention is that Akira Tozawa found the right way to get the crowd back into it. You know what that was, Case? What's that? Just being his weird self. Because he was That's doing, like, thing. things. Uh, go ahead. Because he did the thing of he was shouting at, at Gargano, and then he suddenly kissed him, and then went back in, and the crowd popped, and then everyone was back into the match. It's Akira Tozawa's bizarre connection to American fans that ultimately pulled through on this day. I was just about to mention that Akira Tozawa was so over on this show. I mean, he is the star of this show more so than Pac, more so than Gargano, more so than Loki. You get the real impression that people are here for Akira Tozawa more so than anybody else. And it is just a very fascinating thing to watch given how maybe a Doi or a Yoshino or a Mochizuki never totally assimilated to the American audience. Tozawa did, and Tozawa was just, again, the most over guy on the show and the most over guy on pretty much every show he's on going forward. Yeah, yeah, and it's something where, I mean, we just talked about what happened Pac State around. I still wonder why at this time they didn't put the title on on. Tozawa never holds the Freedom Gate title. It seems like that would have been like the perfect thing for him because of how connected and over it is. The finish came at the right time. It is the thing that's a little bit awkward in this that you essentially have two on three on three and then the two dominate and win. But I mean, like I guess like they were like Mad Blanky's going over on this show leading up until the Mania week and we need to make them dominant and clean. It kind of like, and this is me saying this as a huge Hulk and Akira fan, kind of makes both Ronin and DUF look weak in a way. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily a spot. I don't know who has the agency to maybe change that finish on the fly. The thing is, is that it is Hulk and Akira, and if any two guys are going to run roughshod over another six guys at this point in time in Drangate, it is Hulk and Tozawa. So it's... It makes sense. It, yeah, it, it makes sense. It's a strange finish, but it does make sense. It uh, it did the It's a strange finish. It didn't make sense, of course. Of course... Tozawa getting a win on Gargano will be something that will be revisited a lot in DGUSA. So then both Gargano and Yoshino lose leading into their match. Tozawa grabs a microphone in the post-match and just basically shouts out that it's all bullshit and drops the microphone. Johnny Gargano looks at the microphone, 
but instead is too frustrated and he lets it go and walks he he shakes his head and walks to the back and leaves and that is where we go black so weird show weird finish to a weird show i liked the show i you know it's one of those things that and i think a lot of indie companies actually find themselves in this predicament where i think the show was necessary now if you ask Mm -hmm. if you ask gabe sapolsky he loses Uha Nation for a year. He loses Shiba for the weekend. Uh, and it's not a glowing debut for Samurai Del Sol. I think if he had to do it over again, this show would not exist. But it, it's almost like this house show feel to it. I think sometimes companies need that. And I ended up going four stars in the main event. So I got one spreadsheet match in there. I like Pac versus Fox a lot. And I liked Ricochet versus my man Mike Cruz a lot. So... There was enough on this show that's redeeming. Now, t- telling somebody, you know, four months after the show happens, hey, buy the show on DVD for fourteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine, however much, uh, however much it cost for a DVD at the time, that's a bit of a different argument. Because again, the show was not on iPay per view, but watching it, you know, with eight years of hindsight and just kind of having this show that really does feel different than most Dragon USA shows. I I really enjoyed it. I liked this show for what it was. No, that's fair. That's fair. Like it did feel like the build-up show, and it felt like it was necessary for Mania weekend. So I'll give that all the credit in the world for that because I feel like that that was executed very well. It just felt like okay, we're building up our big matchup that's going to be happening tomorrow in a couple nights, and there'll be stuff on the next show that does another solid job of building that up as well. You so, know, I feel like the- there's there's something to be said for. The simplicity of Gabe's booking on this show or Open the Southern Gate or Chasing the Dragon, and you know, it took us months and months to get through 2011, but the primary takeaways watching Southern Gate and Chasing the Dragon were like, hey, those shows were really fun. Like, that was different, but those shows really worked. Whereas, and I think we'll see it, you know, on these next two shows where all eyes are on Dragon Gate USA, biggest weekend, and Gabe wants to go big with some angle. And as we saw, it just so rarely, he he rarely ever stuck the landing when he went for something big and headline-grabbing worthy. Whereas a show like Heat or Open the Southern Gate or Chasing the Dragon, he kind of just has, you know, these undercards that are a hodgepodge of a number of different things and then a true-to-form Dragon Gate main event. There was the mixed partner challenge at Southern Gate. It was part of the stable shootout, Mike. I know you remember the stable shootout. Uh, chasing oh, the yes, dra- I do. <laughs> chasing the dragon was the captain's fall match. Here it's the it's the nine man match. I like this version of Dragon Gate USA. It's really simple, and I'm guaranteed at least one good match out of it. Like this is fine. And what we're gonna see over these next two weeks, I've never seen the Miami shows, but looking at the cards. It looks like there's just going to be a lot of stuff that I don't really want to sit through. A lot of big-time pageantry in the Gabe Sapolsky universe that I'm just not into because it so rarely delivers. And I like Heat. I wish more shows felt like this. Yeah, no, I. it's something where, at least for, like, with all those triple shots, I wish there was more of, like, this kind of stuff on the triple shot weekends. Like... Like what we had with Southern Gate, like what we had of Chasing the Dragon, because this kind of stuff, like, it makes sense in a way, and it sets up things for the rest of the weekend. And I think that that's something that was direly missed in 2011. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. So, Mike, I believe that is everything we've got. Are you ready to hear the Open the Ultimate Gate 2012 card? Yes, I am. This is from your neck of the woods, Miami Beach, Florida, March 30th, 2012. We should 
have a special guest for this show next week with a card that features Rich Swan versus AR Fox, Bobby Fish, and Tommy Dreamer, God help us all, versus the scene. BB Hulk versus Sammy Callahan, John Davis and Sabu versus Eric Cannon and Pinky Sanchez, Masaki Mochizuki versus Akira Tozawa, Johnny Vandal of the Florida indie scene versus Samurai Del Sol, Loki versus Pac, and the Open the United Gate title match, Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano versus Masato Yoshino and Ricochet. Obviously, this is not the initial card that was booked. We will get into all of the injuries and all of the drama that unfolded at the start of the show next week. Yes, we will. We're, we're getting into this is the set of shows that I've seen in person, and I've not watched really since that. Other than rewatching Tozawa versus uh, Mochizuki, I've watched that match recently. So I'm looking forward to getting into the show. This is an this is an interesting Mania weekend, as we mentioned earlier. There's a lot of stuff to talk about in the lead up to this show, and we should have a special guest for that. So unless you got anything else, Case, I think we're out of here. I think that's it. All right, so you can follow. Us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And I'm at Fujiheya with two eyes like Don Fuji. So for Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voicegate Rewind and Rewatch.